Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. Gavin, you grew up eating English food. Having 11 herbs and spices in anything would definitely kill you. Ass. The following podcast contains... Man, you have got to teach me some of those old man swear words. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you put the KFC in the same building as a Taco Bell, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is episode number 292, the finger-licking-good-times edition of the show, where we tell you that Colonel Sanders was always a fuckboy. Stay tuned. We, what the hell were you thinking podcast is brought to you by General Slanders West Virginia Fried Chicken with our secret blend of 12 herbs and spices. It is the clear your superior fried chicken product. Looking for a good fried chicken instead of that bland ass 11 spice shit, tired, irregular mashed taters and hockey puck biscuits? Swing by General Slanders West Virginia Fried Chicken to pick up a barrel of our original recipe with all the sides and get ready to experience chicken the way it was meant to be. General Slanders is a real general in the West Virginia Patriot Militia, and has been in the chicken business since he learned it at his mama's knee in 1983 when she's fired from that other chicken place for fucking an Iron Maid rodent in the KFC restroom. All of her original blend 12 urban spices are completely different from that fake-ass chicken, and you can taste the difference because the last ingredient she put in was love. So suck down a bucket of Colonel Slander's West Virginia Fried Chicken and discover what real chicken should taste like. I hated the colonel with his wee beady eyes and that smug look on his face. Oh, you're going to buy my chicken. Oh, Dad, how can you hate the colonel? Because he puts an addictive chemical in his chicken that makes you crave it fortnightly smarters. Interesting. Cuckoo. Any child of the 80s would tell you. There were two kinds of mamas too fucking tired to cook nights. There were the fuck it, I'm gonna get McDonald's for you little monsters, which was always a kid favorite because fuck yeah, McDonald's. McDonald's is basically crack for kids. You say, Ma, I want to stop and get some McDonald's. Then there were the nights that mom and dad wanted to eat something that vaguely resembled actual food but didn't feel like cooking it, and that meant only one place. There really is a Kentucky Fried Chicken School. Yep, today we're making the Colonel's original recipe. What have you learned? Fresh chicken makes the best chicken. And that we use 11 herbs and spices. Oh, but that's the Colonel's secret. And special pressure cooking. <laughs> so it's always tender and juicy. Looks like you've learned to make great chicken. Only way to serve our customers right. It's so nice. Kentucky Fried Chicken, as it was known at the time, had all the components of an actual meal with the convenience of coming in a bucket. <laughs> and damn it, that was good chicken. 
I don't know what the fuck is coming out of this KFC place that's around now. But back in the day, when you got Kentucky Fried Chicken, you got a big-ass plump piece of chicken with the batter coating still attached, smooth, creamy mashed potatoes, thick gravy, and light, fluffy biscuits. The last time I got KFC, all I got was some burned, replicated bird meat. Lumpy instant potatoes and some brown goo that was supposed to be gravy. And the less said about the biscuits, the better. Stone Hard Reality Days. You want to know the difference between KFC and Kentucky Fried Chicken? I'll explain it to you in two words. The Colonel! Harlan motherfucking Sanders. You serve shitty chicken when the Colonel was alive, he might just beat the you with a goddamn chair. Shit, some of you kids might even know the Colonel was not just an invention of the marketing department, but a living, breathing, chicken-making, lady-fucking-ass-kicking badass with a mouth like a drunk sailor, and he died 40 years ago the week this pod drops in your feed, and I'm going to tell you a story because it is way more interesting than you can even imagine, and when I'm done, I'm going to order some goddamn chicken, just not from KFC. Harlan David Sanders was born September 9th, 1890 to Wilbur and Margaret Sanders on a farm outside Hendryville, Indiana. Oh, you thought he was from Kentucky? Not one Kentucky kernel of truth. Born and raised in Indiana. Shit, they don't even like chicken in Kentucky. His father died when Harlan was five, and he was raised by his mother. Described on the Colonel of Truth podcast, which, goddamn... It's in the show notes. Go listen to it. As a, quote, strict Christian who constantly warned her children against the evils of alcohol, tobacco, gambling, and whistling on Sundays. Is that a sin, Father? Apparently so. When his mother remarried when Harlan was 13, his stepfather liked to slap the kids around, so Harlan packed up his shit and left. Making his living by doing the kind of jobs young men did in the early 1900s. Harlan did mostly farm work until he enlisted in the army in 1906 and shipped up to Cuba after the Spanish-American War, only to be discharged when the army discovered he was barely 16. He headed back and picked up a job working on the railroad, and again from Colonel of Truth, he, quote, found work as an ash doodler for Southern Railroad, scraping coal ash from steam engines. But Sanders studied the railroad firemen, watching as they shoveled coal into the firebox and learning how to spread the fuel for maximum efficiency. And by 18, Sanders had reverse-engineered the occupation, and he began filling in for firemen who failed to show up for work. He also adopted the fireman's lexicon, cultivating an expansive vocabulary of profanities in his everyday conversation. It's hard for me not to call a good, lazy, incompetent, dishonest son of a bitch by anything else other than his rightful name, unquote. Any, ask anyone who knew Harlan Sanders, and they'll tell you he swore like a low-rated podcaster half a bottle of Jameson into the show. A lot of screaming, profanity. Hell, Harlan himself considered profan his pin shot for profanity his greatest weakness and struggled against it all his life. He would get mad, and the man loved to get mad. Then he'd start swearing a blue streak, and he had no problems whipping your ass if the cursing didn't work. Whatever else we learn about this motherfucker, I respect the shit out of him for being willing to bust out a steady stream of fuck damn shits at the slightest provocation. And it was strangely enough working on the railroad that created his iconic all-white suit that would become the hallmark of the colonel in later years. Despite his job being notoriously filthy. God, it was so dirty. What with the shoveling of coal all day, Harlan was extremely fastidious, and before he left from work each day, he would clean himself and don a fresh white set of coveralls and white cotton gloves before heading home. Of course, young Harlan would not work on the railroad all the live long day. In fact, he was fired at the age of 21 after he beat the shit out of a railroad engineer for some unrecorded slight. 
It was also around this time that he met his future wife, Josephine King, at a movie house they both frequented. After a brief courtship, which is what they call dating in those days, the two married. Now, Josephine Sanders was not a woman who ever wanted children and particularly even liked sex, and she firmly resolved that she would not have any children. But uh, that firm resolve did not apparently include a firm resolve not to... With her husband Harlem. And it turns out that firmly resolving you will not get pregnant is not the best form of birth control in there. First child, Margaret, was born nine months after their wedding night. There uh, would be three more children because, damn, no matter what Josephine thought, the Colonel liked to fuck. Quoting from an article on Slate.com, but through it all, Sanders was still a sixth-grade dropout who knew how to cook and liked to cuss as much as he liked to pursue women. And the fact that he spent nearly 40 years in a difficult marriage to a woman named Josephine King apparently didn't stem his appetites. Josephine bore, Josephine bore him three children, said the late Joe Ozersky, noted in his excellent bi biography, Colonel Sanders in the American Dream, but seemed to have little interest in lovemaking after that. An especially unfortunate circumstance given Sanders' passionate and hot-blooded nature, so he found his pleasure elsewhere, unquote. Yeah, boy! Because finger-licking good wasn't just about the chicken when it came to the colonel. He's what we would have called when I was in the military a horn dog, or what the kids today would call a serial sexual harasser. You say tomato, tomato, I say tomato, tomato. Again from Slate, quote, in a 1999 interview, Sanders biographer John Ed Pierce offered us this remembrance. A woman at the Chamber of Commerce told him that every time Harlan came in, why she had to beat his hands off of her, Pierce explained. And she told him, Harlan, get your hands off of me. I got all I need at home. William Whitworth, a reporter from The New Yorker embedded with Sanders in 1970, observed the colonel greet a crowd of adoring women. He knocked them dead with his flattery, Whitworth writes, but if you get close enough to him in a crowd, you can hear him muttering a running commentary to himself. Um, that gal let herself go. Look at the size of that one. I don't know when I've seen so many fat ones. Lord, look at him waddle. What a dick. Of course he was. All the more ironic that fucking Kentucky Fried Chicken created the fucking fat Native America in the first place. He carried on a years-long affair with a waitress from the cafe he was running pre-KFC named Claudia Lettington, starting in 1937. Going back to the Colonel of True podcast, quote, It was around this time that Sanders met his beloved Claudia Price, a young divorced woman who lived in Corbin, Kentucky. At Harlan's suggestion, his wife Josephine hired Claudia to help around the cafe, and it soon became something of an open secret that Claudia was equal parts waitress and mistress. But this silent scandal was marginalized by the growing success of the restaurant, unquote. Sanders would eventually divorce Josephine after 39 years in 1952. Margaret Sanders, the colonel's oldest daughter, said in her biography, her mother was well aware of Claudia, myriad other affairs, and wasn't happy about them, but at least it kept Harlan from trying to have sex with her all the time. So gross. Not only was Harlan a fuckboy, he fucking shot a dude in 1931. Dude's transgression? He owned a competing gas station and painted over Harlan's roadside sign. Damn, that's cold. Colonel Sanders pulled up on dude with his boys, and they had a fucking gunfight. When the shooting stopped, the competing owner was shot twice by Sanders and an executive from Shell Oil Gasoline, 
the equivalent of like a regional manager or something, was fucking dead, shot by the guy Harlan shot. Guy ended up going to jail for murder because he shot first. Think about that. The next time you buy a bucket of original recipe, Colonel fucking Sanders shot a guy for competing with his business. And Harlan had him a lot of businesses over the years. I mean, after he was fired for fighting from the railroad, the sixth grade dropout went to law school via correspondence course. Savino and Barnes, injury attorneys, 800-888-8888. He worked as a justice of the peace and actually helped a fair bit of people during his law career. Alas, Harlan would not practice long. He got into a fight with a client over unpaid legal bills in the courtroom. Dude was hardcore. From there, he moved on to selling gas lighting for homes, only to have rural electrification kill that technology. He made a small fortune establishing a ferry service and used that money to launch a young businessman's club, only to see that come to an end after the club sponsored a picnic for the town one day where all the local businesses were supposed to close, except for one barber who remained open, freaking out the other town barbers. So Harlan went over to get the guy to shut down for the afternoon. The barber refused, and, well, I guess you can figure out what happened. They still beat the shit out of each other. Yeah. And the customer in the barber's chair as well. His face was still covered in shaving creams while Harlan was punching him. That's about the time that Harlan moved on to selling gasoline. That's when he owned the South Shell station where he shot the guy. His first station folded due to the depression, but that didn't stop Harlan. In addition to dueling with competing service station owners, he would do things like have shootouts with bootleggers. And then, this is one of those times I swear I'm not making things up. And I'm just going to have to quote directly from my research material, again, from Kernels of Truth quote. A nearby Appalachian community which lacked electricity, roads, indoor plumbing, and other modern conveniences. From time to time, Sanders brought the families there free food, including full Thanksgiving spreads for entire towns. But most urgently, the people needed medical care. He had been summoned because one of the townswomen had gone into labor. Having three children, Sanders had a little experience with childbirth, so he became a self-styled amateur midwife. Wait, Wait, what? what? During one particularly difficult birth, Sanders knew the baby was breached, and it was more than he could handle, and he called for the local doctor. The doctor, who had a snoot full of bootleg liquor, refused to go up into the mountains in the shitty weather, so what did Harlan do? He, um, need him beaten up. You got it. He went home, picked up his shotgun, and persuaded the doctor to make the house call. The child was born safely, and the happy couple named the little boy Harlan after their benefactor. And this kind of thing was what made Colonel Sanders a colonel. You see, in Kentucky, being a colonel is kind of like being knighted by royalty. It holds no real power, has absolutely nothing to do with military service, and is really nothing more than a cool thing to put on your business card. But Kentucky takes it very seriously. Silly people, aren't they? Being named a colonel was relatively rare until Governor Ruby Lafoon... That is his name. ...issued some 5,000 colonel-dums from 1931 to 1935, including anointing Harlan Sanders with his very real and legally binding rank as a Kentucky colonel. I'm in no way suggesting it was improper, because Sanders really was and did do the things that got him his Colonel C and generally helped out people in Kentucky, even if he had to whip a lot of sons of bitches' asses to get it done. 
He was also at this time that Colonel Sanders got into the food business. In addition to a service station, he opened a cafe, co joined with a gas station, which was not as horrifying in 1935 as it seems today. Instead of grease-slicked hot dogs, microwave pizzas, and week-old sushi, Sanders' service station and cafe served home-style meals of some renown. Food critic Duncan Hines. Is that, is that, uh... Yeah, the guy who makes the cakes. Gave the place a nice write-up in his guide. A quote, a very good place to stop en route to Columberland Falls and the Great Smokies, continuous 24-hour service, sizzling steaks, fried chicken, country ham, and hot biscuits, unquote. By 1939, the colonel was operating two hotel restaurants and was finalizing his secret recipe for fried chicken. Through World War II, Sanders struggled as tourism dried up and again, I'm not making this up, worked as part of the Manhattan Project. You're lying. And I know you're lying. I am not lying. I'm inflating. He ran the cafeterias at the labs in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, where uranium was enriched for the first atomic bombs. Following the war, the colonel returned to Kentucky, divorced his wife, married his mistress, was commissioned as a colonel for the second time by a different governor. No, I have no understanding of what happened there either. And then set about creating a fried chicken empire. He donned his now famous white outfit, string tie, grew his beard, and headed out to peddle his chicken formula to a hungry world through franchising. First stop... Salt Lake City. But but why? Well, I don't know. Maybe it's because Mormons just really like fried chicken. But that's just speculation on my part. It's probably because the colonel knew a guy. Again, from Colonel's of Truth, quote, The 62-year-old Colonel Sanders stepped off a train in Salt Lake City and went to the Dew Drop-In, a newly renovated hamburger stand owned by Pete Harmon. Sanders had met Harmon at a restaurant convention in Chicago, and the colonel liked young Harmon at at once, mostly because Harmon seemed to be the only other person at the convention who rejected alcohol, unquote. Yeah, cursing, fighting, whoring, those were all good for the colonel, but no drinking! Well, nobody's perfect. (laughs) The colonel made his chicken for Harmon, who said he'd think about it, and the colonel went off to Australia where he attended a church meeting where he hoped it would cure him of his fucking profanity. When he stopped back in South LC on the way home to check in on Harmon, that no-good son-of-a-bitch shit-eating assmonger fucking stole the Colonel's secret goddamn recipe. Oh, it is on! I mean, this guy fucking shot a guy for painting over his sign. Can you imagine what he's gonna do to somebody that stole the secret recipe? Strangely enough, what happened was Harmon became the first franchisee of Kentucky Fried Chicken. Sanders took back the name in lieu of Harmon's teeth, and within five years, the colonel's franchise incomes had increased 20-fold. There would be ups and downs for the colonel, but eventually he began franchising his chicken places in earnest, and one of the early franchise owners would go on to make a name for himself in fast food fame. I'm Dave Thomas. I started Wendy's with one restaurant and a philosophy. Give customers more than great food. Give them great people. With that... Why would anyone go anyplace else? The colonel worked the road across the nation, slowly building Kentucky Fried Chicken into a household name. Don't worry, though. Harlan hadn't lost what made him so special. The propensity to get into a fight at the drop of a hat, including with a line cook in a roadside diner when he was 70 years old. In 1963, Kentucky Fried Chicken was profitable and growing, but still run by the colonel and Claudia. Well, it's mostly Claudia. That's when some big city types came to the colonel with a deal. He sold them the company and stayed on board as a brand ambassador and quality controller. For $2 million and 40000 bucks a year, the colonel sold the company to the suits and kind of got scammed by the slick-ass silk-suited sons of bitches. There would be lawsuits, 
fights over international rights to his name and branding. And of course, there were the gravy wars. I'm sorry, what? From a 1970 article in New York in the New Yorker magazine, quote, The colonel is vexed almost beyond endurance by the subject of gravy. The gravy now served in the KFC franchises is good, but it isn't the colonel's. Let's face it, the colonel's gravy was fantastic, but you needed to be a Rhodes Scholar to cook it, a company executives explained. It involved too much time, it left too much room for human error, and it was too expensive. However, Though he has relinquished control of the company, the colonel retains considerable moral authority with KFC executives and franchisees, all of whom revere him as a food genius, love him for inventing a product that has made them rich, and fear his terrible wrath. The colonel doesn't hesitate to exploit these feelings in the gravy issue, apparently reasoning that if he can't force the franchise to reinstate the old gravy, he can at least make them uncomfortable about the new. During his travels on company business, he will occasionally pay an unexpected visit to a KFC outlet in order to inspect the kitchen and sample the gravy. If the gravy meets one of his low expectations, he delivers one of his withering gravy critiques, sometimes emphasizing his points by banging his canning on whatever furniture is handy. Months or even years after these ordeals, franchisees wince at the memory of such a gravy judgment from the colonel as how do you serve this goddamn slop with a straw, unquote. The colonel would continue to be a thorn in the side of corporate KFC for years and was a goddamn cultural icon for almost two decades. Again, from the New Yorker, quote, he travels 200,000 miles a year in pursuit of publicity and goodwill for Kentucky Fried Chicken. Besides taping all the KFC commercials, he has appeared in innumerable parades, festivals, been on network television programs more than 30 times, and played small roles in movies, unquote. Throughout the 1970s, the colonel was a part of the American pop culture zeitgeist, second only to Ronald McDonald in brand recognition to any Gen X kid. He was the living embodiment of a brand long before influencers did it for the gram. And he was loved by Americans, but he's damn near worshipped in Japan. All across Asia, Kentucky Fried Chicken was the largest American fast food chain for years. In Japan, KFC means Christmas. You can't get a table at a KFC in Japan on Christmas Day. It's a national tradition. It's like Jewish people eating Chinese food on Christmas in the States. Japanese people eat KFC on Christmas. In fact, the colonel is pretty much a stand-in for Santa Claus, or at least closely associated with him like an elf and reindeer over there. After several trips to Japan in the 1970s, his statue adorned pretty much every KFC venue, and after a team, a baseball team in Japan won the Japanese World Series, happy fans tossed a colonel statue in the nearby river, and that team has not been back to the series since 1985 when that transpired. Local legends call it the curse of the colonel, and a few years ago, most of the statue was actually recovered from the river and returned to a KFC near the original location, but local legend says until the missing left-handed glasses of the colonel are recovered and rejoined to the colonel, the curse will not be lifted, and they take that shit seriously in Japan. The flesh-and-blood Colonel Sanders left the world December 16, 1980, 40 years ago, the week that I write and record this show. He was a deeply religious man and probably would be kind of offended to know his effigy was being used in a quasi-religious fashion. Chances are he would offer to kick the shit out of the folks who did it, but who knows? I'm sure he really liked Japanese women, so he might just use it to his advantage. 
And I don't want to wax too prosaic about Colonel Harlan Sanders, the man. He was a vain, violent, profane pussyhound who cheated on his wife constantly. And those were the things I like about the man. I'm sure if I dug around, I'd find some pretty horrible things about him. And he would probably be considered a sexual predator today, and rightly so. But also... He did do some good things in the world, and he fought hard for some African-Americans as a lawyer in the time and place when doing things like that earned him no friends or credit. He helped the poor even when he wasn't rich and tried to do do right by them. He went from rags to riches to rags and back to riches, all the while staying true to what he believed. You couldn't write a story like this today, even if it did star Mario fucking Lopez. What the hell are you doing? A Lifetime original mini-movie. You don't answer my proposal, and now you're not answering my call. I think I'm falling for the new chef. Jessica is falling for Harlan. The cook? Leave Jessica alone and skip town. He has a secret recipe that's going to change the world. Harlan claims to have some secret recipe. A secret recipe? (laughs) Spare me. We all have our secrets. If you marry my daughter, I promise there'll be more long weekends in your future. Mom, I have to tell you something. We have a problem. Secrets out, chicken man. I'll take care of this. Ruining everything! Just kill him already! Who the hell are you? Harlan Sanders, the new chef. Mario Lopez is Colonel Sanders in a recipe for seduction. Premieres December 13th at noon, only on Lifetime. Presented by Kentucky Fried Chicken. And you know what? That is fucking ironically and uniquely appropriate. Off top of everything that I've said good and bad about the man, the thing that makes him dear and dear to my heart is one, my sister met the man that she has been married to now for a good 25 years, the love of her life, and a man that treats her beautifully and I actually really, really like and respect while they were both working at a Kentucky Fried Fucking Chicken. And two, is he made some good goddamn chicken. And that alone puts him in the American pantheon. And about that chicken. A 2009 analysis of modern Kentucky Fried Chicken by an independent lab found the ingredients in the secret recipe to be flour, salt, monosodium glutamate, and black pepper. Lying cocksuckers. Whatever KFC tells you, I had the original recipe, and it's not the same fucking thing. What was in the original secret recipe? Well, no one can know for sure, but in a 2016 article in the Chicago Tribune, the colonel's nephew, Joe Lettington, a then 67-year-old retired school teacher, revealed a family album handed down from Claudia Sanders and winding up with him, which contained in the pages written on a napkin a recipe with 11 herbs and spices and their amounts. How did I not know about this? Probably because Yum Brands, a conglomerate that owns the KFC brand, sued the shit out of him after the article was published and refused to confirm or deny anything about it. But uh, I think alone, the lawsuit and the denial speaks for itself. And because we're friends here, I'm going to tell you the secret, and then I'm going to tell you the real secret that has absolutely nothing to do with the secret. So grab a pad and pencil... And get ready to write down the most closely held secret since the original Coca-Cola, which was basically just some fucking caramel brown sugar and cocaine. Uh, ready? Drum roll, please, Gavin. 
Start with two cups of white flour. Add to it two-thirds of a tablespoon of salt, half a tablespoon of thyme and basil, a third of a tablespoon of oregano, then one tablespoon of celery salt, black pepper, dried mustard, four tablespoons of paprika, two tablespoons of garlic salt, one of ground sugar, and then three tablespoons of white pepper. Shake vigorously in the bag and then cook in a pressure cooker. And that is the secret, the pressure cooker. That is why Kentucky Fried Chicken is so tender and juicy, how it is cooked, not the breading. Now, they will kill for revenge. Oh, please. Every Southern mama knows this, and they also know that pressure cookers are too difficult and expensive to use at home, so it's just easier to get Kentucky Fried Chicken. The breading, you can't even really taste that shit. The greatest trick the colonel ever pulled was making you believe it was in the batter. (laughs) That is it for our show this week. I am convinced that all of you listening learned something this week. Whether it was how Colonel Sanders liked to fuck, fuck well, or the dirty secret about his fried chicken. Honestly, I knew that shit a long time back. My mom has a great fried chicken recipe because, hello, Southern mom. And I've recreated it with some small success, but the one thing I could never get right was keeping the breading on the chicken after the first couple of pieces. Come to find out, you gotta change that oil a lot. Fresh oil in the fryer is the secret to all chicken recipes, even Popeyes, who currently holds the title for the best fast food chicken, hands down. But someday I'm gonna open a place with my mom's chicken and it'll be over, over, over for Popeyes. And because I never retained the rank of Colonel, it will be named Senior Emmer Bledsoe's Tennessee fried chicken and it will make me rich and hopefully allow me to have as much sex as colonel sanders speaking of things you wish you hadn't heard rate and review this show wherever you get your podcast it helps others find the show and wish they hadn't heard it too all of my bits of southern wisdom about chicken are on the socials at the hell underscore podcast on twitter and the show name on facebook if you're interested in more Southern cooking recipes, donate to the show at patreon.com slash whatthehellpodcast, where you will find the show early and ad-free, bonus content, and swag, and if you kick in a few dollars more, donate $1,000, and I will share my mother's fried chicken recipe, and it's worth it. We are a proud member of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network, where people who have had the proper original recipe and those who are too young to experience his glory create beautiful stories together. All of our sides and biscuits are on whatthehellpodcast.com. So for me, Dave... What's the matter, Colonel Sanders? Chicken? Bledsoe, producer... The Kentucky Fried Chicken 11 Herbs and Space Experience. Gavin and all the fictional legs and thighs on this show, we want to say that whenever we stop for gasoline, we always get some fried chicken. It's the Southern way. We'll see you all next week. Thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. 
show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Seltzer Kings Podcasts.